This is a conversation with Judith Weaver. Hi, Judith. Hello, Serge. So, Judith, how did you get to do what you're doing? <laughs> That's such a wonderful question. And um, in a very roundabout way, I, I might say, um, it also makes me feel old when I think about it. But um, I was a, in the 50s and the 60s, I was an aspiring dancer in New York City and in San Francisco, really involved with movement, and um, and and also involved in studying um, Eastern philosophy, psychology. And I eventually, in 65, I went to Japan to study dance, to study movement. And um, as well as doing that and studying the Japanese culture, after a year, I... Um, I fulfilled the other side of my study, which was Buddhism, and I entered a Zen Buddhist monastery, which was a very unusual experience because I was the only woman with 30 monks. Mm. Special permission to be there. And the, the Zen master said to me, now you will learn the highest form of dance, movementless dance. Mm. And... I must say, by sitting still, I learned so much about movement, and myself, of course. And after three years, when I came back I um, to the United States, to New York, I, I knew I did not want to, I mean, my ego was not there to dance any longer. So I had time to investigate, to study two things that I had wanted to study before, and one was Tai Chi Chuan, and the other one was um, sensory awareness. And that was, and then I found myself at Esalen in 1968, um, uh, studying and teaching both of those things, um, those practices. And then in the 70s, because of different changes in my life, I was a single mother by that time. I, I really, really, I had been in, you know, seen therapists when I was younger and they were always talk therapists and nothing, nothing ever happened. And I, I finally discovered and Wilhelm Reich, you might mm. say. And I went to, um, actually, I, I, I discovered him by going to a family therapy clinic and, and the man there said, you know, I've been studying something new, and it's a different kind of therapy. It has something to do with the body, and I'd like to try it on you. And I remember sitting there thinking, body? This couldn't be bad. <laughs> so I said, sure. So that's how I got into the the field, you might say, but it was just for myself. It wasn't, it, it you know, after a while, after six months, I actually did notice a change in me, and I thought, wow, none, nothing else I had done really made such a difference, so I wanted to learn more. I started reading Reich, and I started studying Reich, and after a couple of years, my mentor said, hey, you go ahead and do this with other people, too. I had never thought of becoming a therapist. Mm-hmm. But that, then I also studied, you know, Gestalt and cranial sacral therapy, and and had met actually Peter Levine from the the Reichian you know study world, and and um, what he eventually called SE, and uh, and Rosen method, lots of things. But basically, everything for me had needed the the foundation of sensory awareness of the the the. The awareness of what is happening, yeah. what is happening in the body. And, and I must say that still there was something missing. 
there was something missing for me and me understanding myself and also working with clients. And it wasn't until I found the pre and perinatal work that I could really say, okay, I've gone deep enough, far enough, back enough, now I can bring it all together mm-hmm. and stand. But I was calling my work for a long time, wanting to give credit to Wilhelm Reich, whom I think we all owe such a debt to. I called it Reichian-based awareness therapy, and that was pretty unwildy. Mm-hmm. And one day, a client, you know, at the end of his session, looked at me and said, so what do you call this work? And out of my mouth came somatic reclaiming. Mm-hmm. Because I felt that it's not that we have to go and be different, new, you know, remake ourselves. It's just that a lot of our own natural instincts are trained out, educated out, and um, of us. And eventually, as much as we want to be met, to be seen, to be you know, felt, to be understood, we we stop doing that ourselves. Even we don't feel ourselves. We don't see ourselves. You know, in this busy life. Yeah. And and for me, coming back to the to the simplicity and the integrity of well, what is it that you are really feeling? What do you feel? And it's not just in your body. It's what do you feel in yourself? Because, of course, as we all know, body and mind and spirit cannot be separated. So what are you feeling? Yeah, so so that's a very nice sense of that homecoming to reconnecting not just with sensation, with awareness of um, of, of um, what happens in the body, but the awareness of the whole self. Right, right, and, and not and not um, what is it that uh, name? So many times you ask somebody, "What are you feeling?" And they say, "I'm feeling fear. I'm feeling grief, or something." And of course, that isn't the feeling. Yeah, that's that's a name or a label we put on the feeling. So. How can I know what you're feeling with your label? Because I know what I feel when I feel fear, but I don't know what you feel. Mm-hmm. So more than, um, so what does that fear feel like? Where in you do you feel it? What are your sensations? And then, without judgment, we can work. Yeah. Yes. Very basically, you might say. Yeah, so going beyond the words to get to uh, the experience of sensation. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, follow that. What the um, the mo- for me sense um, sensory awareness, which was a name coined by Charlotte Silver here in this country. Her teacher Gindler, Elsa Gindler, in Europe, interestingly enough, na- never named her work. Mm-hmm. That the myth is that she said to people, "Oh, I just work with the whole person," but I'm not now. I'm not even so sure that she said that. She couldn't find a name for it. But the most important thing for me is that the, the non-judgmentalness of it. Just to there's nothing wrong with anyone. Mm-hmm. It's just what's happening. And if we can, if somebody, if you, uh, anyone, can become aware of what's happening 
of how it feels. And if we don't, if we don't like it, then we can make the decision to change. It's yeah. not me as the practitioner or the facilitator to tell anyone that they need to change or, um, or that, that, you know, or how it feels. So to help someone come to their awareness of whatever it is and then follow their instinct if they want to feel differently, then they can just, you know, in, instinctively and with a great deal of um, integrity, allow the change to happen. Yes. And so maybe if we could talk a little bit more about uh, how that happens, how people get into that sense of um, awareness. And I know you do that with individuals as well as uh, you've done this with groups as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, um, Are you saying, like, um, shall I give you some examples? Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. Okay. Well, um, one of the most interesting things that has happened to me uh, very recently was I got an email from someone who, um, many several years ago anyway, I don't even remember what year it was, was my translator when I was teaching uh, Rosen Method in St. Petersburg, Russia. Mm-hmm. And she wrote me, I had never heard from her, I still to this day do not know her last name because I didn't ask her, and when it comes on the email, it's in, you know, it's in the the Russian script, so I don't know what her last (laughs) name is, but she told me for the past two years, she had gone to India with a group and um, had had some very... uh, what unusual, intense experiences, and she thought she was going to die. And, and since she's been back, she hasn't been able to breathe well, sleep well. Uh, she knows she's got a lot in her, and she'd been to many, many different people. And now in Russia, there are many, you know, all the Russian-based therapies, and then a lot of the Western ones have come there. And she said nothing has been able to help her, but just made her more tied up. And for some reason... I don't even know how she got my email. Um, she's decided that I could help her. Mm-hmm. And, and interestingly enough, um, after a few email exchanges, I, re- I realized that we could use Skype. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did Skype with the, with the visual, and I could see immediately how she just was not, not, not breathing. And she was in such panic situation. And in a short 50-minute session, I, I mean, she knew she was feeling terrible, but she didn't know what was making her feel so terrible and what really she was doing. So with very simple things of, um, of the practice of bringing her to feel her breath where it was and where it wasn't, mm-hmm. and how she held it, she started... On Skype, she started yawning, which to me is a you know great release mm-hmm. um, the neck muscles and the jaw muscles in her, in her mouth, and she could feel the difference, and that was the important part. She could feel the difference, and then she would talk and get tight again, and she could feel that and come back to the awareness, and she could really feel and have con- um, uh, control of whether or not she was 
holding extra tight or allowing her breath to be easier. Mm. So that was a, a wonderful, very, very simple session. Mm-hmm. I was impressed that we could do so much at such a distance. And and since then, several emails, she says, well, she's sleeping a lot better. She's crying a lot. Mm-hmm. Now all these other feelings that she realizes she's been holding down is are coming up. And, you know, can we work further? But it, it's such a high-tech, you know, modern way of, of um, doing somatic, you know, psychotherapy. I thought it was, was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, that you were able from there to actually uh, be able to observe the body. Yeah. And, uh, and access, help her access the feeling. Well, I couldn't observe much of it, but of course, the connection with the breath is, is central. And so I could see enough of her, you know, I had her move away a little bit from the screen so I could see her whole torso. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. So, um, that's about the awareness, sensory awareness. And you mentioned that, uh, a lot of your work, uh, clicked when you introduced the notion of pre and perinatal. Yes. Um, basically, when people ask me what kind of people I work with, I jokingly say, oh, I work with big babies and little babies. <laughs> because, I mean, we were all babies, and um, we're still holding a lot of what happened to us, good and bad, in us, and that's what we build upon. So it's not really such a joke. But the the understanding... And awareness. Well, I'll go back to to this client. One of the first things I asked her was about her birth. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that she had basically been abandoned by her mother at, at, I think it was two months for a couple of years, and is still angry about that. And so something in India happened about abandonment. And wow, you know, there's the connection right there. Um, So it the understanding of the different stages of gestation as well as early early infancy the, the first several months after not only of the prenate or the, the the infant but also what happened to the parents mother and father mm-hmm. all have you know have an effect on this child, and it doesn't begin or end at birth. It, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a process. So not necessarily having to do anything about it, but le- but studying it gave me a greater understanding of the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And um, repeatedly, just that that knowledge and acknowledging um, that that aspect of our lives that that most people don't really look at. Certainly the average medical profession doesn't. You know, life begins at at birth or whenever, wherever or how. I can give a quick example about about how deeply this affects us. Many years ago, I was working with two other colleagues, and we would see infants and their parents. And a three-month-old came in with his mother and father, and he was sleeping, and the parents said, you know, the birth was fine. There wasn't anything 
difficult at all. They just wanted to, you know, have our opinion because mm-hmm. they knew one of the other uh, practitioners. And this baby was gorgeous. And so we said, okay, you know, just, just tell your story. So the mother sat in the rocking chair with this baby sleeping and the father right next to it. They were a beautiful family. And she was telling the story. And she said, um, and when we first found out that we were pregnant, my parents wanted me to have an abortion. And the baby startled. His arms went up, his, his eyes got really, really wide, and we said, quickly, quickly, you know, tell him, you know, the truth. And she said, oh, but I didn't want to do that. I only considered it for two minutes. And I said, tell the baby that. And she said, I really wanted you. I only considered that for two minutes. I would never think of this. And the baby went right back to sleep. Basically, he never woke up except for that startle mm-hmm. with those words. I mean, there wasn't, you know, Abortion ideation was two minutes mm-hmm. in this woman's mind, and it affected the, the baby. What, about a year later, it was still affecting the baby that much. Mm. So it's like everything the mother goes through, the baby is, is you know, marinating in the, the hormones, whether there's stress, whether there's happiness, whether there's um, doubt and ambivalence. And um, we in the pre- and perinatal field really believe that that affects us in so many different ways. And yeah. and I'll never forget that little child. He never woke up during the whole session. He was peacefully sleeping except for that one big startle. And so do you feel that the child was responding to the words or was responding to maybe some energy in the mother's voice around that uh, these words I think that he was responding to more than just the words I mean with the mother saying that she may have become tense in her she was holding the baby mm-hmm. so he you know she may have become tense in her hold of him mm-hmm. or that memory in her and maybe the struggle that she went through, whatever it was, it certainly came through this child. You know it was there at that point in the moment when she was, you know, when her parents were telling her that. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then, so he was three months old. A year later, it was still in her and right. in him. Yeah, yeah. So there was that... Um that uh, emotional connection about that really difficult moment, and mm-hmm. yes. uh, I think that could be sensed and and go on as it went on with the mother. It also affected the child. Yes, and I think I mean we, we do think that uh, you know what happens happens, but mm-hmm. then to straighten it out, it's you know. So my parents uh, suggested that. I considered it for maybe two minutes, but I am, and we, one of the most important things we told her, reminded her to say is, I'm so glad you're here. Mm-hmm. So glad you're here. I wanted you. We're very happy. You know, we're so glad you're here. Right. And, and, and like I said before, so we all want to be wanted. We all want to be heard and seen and felt and, um, and c- connect to connect with. Yes, and, with and actually, when I hear you say, I'm so glad, you know, uh, there's a sense also of her relaxing into it in the moment, and yes. that, that, uh, that nonverbal communication that's happening as well. Yes, 
Yes, I had a student who worked with me um, in Taiji for a long time, and she was a wonderful midwife for, I think, 20, 30 years. And then she did one of the the perinatal somatic process workshops and uh, discovered something that she really had not had, had felt subliminally but hadn't paid much attention to, that she was really not welcomed when she was born. I don't recall now whether she was the umpteenth child or they just didn't want, weren't ready or whatever it was. But but what she realized, and this may have become, you know, had something to do with her becoming a midwife, that every time she delivered a baby, she would say, welcome baby. Oh. How wonderful you're here. And she realized that she was healing her own yeah. unwelcome feeling by welcoming every baby she delivered. Mm. So, so that's in that case that was uh, her own unconsciously figuring out what needed to be done for her to complete the process to uh, to do what hadn't been done and to uh, to heal. Yes. Um, but say with somebody who doesn't have that, um, you know, how do you work with healing the uh, perinatal trauma? Uh, somatically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In, in one word, somatically, because of course, I mean, as much as we can say, it's in us, it, it's in our, in our feelings, it creates patterns so that we can work with this forever. I used to, before I studied, before I studied, um, the pre and perinatal work, I used to jokingly say, I have a very bad sense of direction. And I used to jokingly say that it was, um, it was an early trauma. Well, it turns out that I really did get lost and actually died during my birth process. So I was joking, but it's not—it's not such a joke. I do think yeah. it had something to do with it. So the first thing again is the awareness, just acknowledging what happened is big. Mm-hmm. That's really, really big. Being honest about this this, this horror, and then. There are possibilities of repatterning. So let's start first with the awareness. In a way, how does somebody who's not aware of what happened uh, become aware? Would you have maybe a case that could illustrate that? Well, I, I, um, I can say something about my own experience mm-hmm. because it took me a while, even though I was studying this work, it took me a while to understand. And... Um, I took many different courses. I studied with many, many different people. And interestingly enough, every time the somatic psychotherapy came around to the birth process, I would, what I thought was fall asleep. And I would think, well, this is, you know, oh, so, okay, so it's after lunch. That's my, mm-hmm. that's my low time. So I'm tired. But time after time after time, I really wasn't falling asleep. I was going into an anesthesia stupor. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to catch on to that. And it wasn't until going through a birth process. And, and um, one can much more easily than, than one would think. You don't have to go into a trance. You don't even have to do... Um, much of anything, the very first time I ever was in a workshop and it was my time to to um, work with the leader, he just said, okay, you know, so lie down as if you're in the womb. And I, and I did. I mean, I've done this many, many times working with other people in other 
uh, modalities. This mm-hmm. was the first time this was, you know, in utero and birth. And, um, and that was that for a long time. And finally the teacher said, I have never seen anyone lie so still for so long. Mm. And there was the beginning of an amazing unraveling of um, all sorts of things. But it's, um, I'm thinking of some other examples. Even on the phone when a client or a potential client, somebody who wanted to work with me, said something like, um, you know, I just feel like I'm banging my head all the time and not getting anywhere. Uh, it used to be, oh, you know, I'm an Aries. I bang my head a lot. <laughs> but now it's, hmm, I wonder if that has anything to do with uh, her birth process. Yeah. Or I feel like I'm being strangled often. Often that can go back to someone discovering that there was the cord around his or her neck. Mm-hmm. And the birth process was difficult as they're trying to get out and the cord is possibly getting tighter. Yeah. So as our words, as, as we in the somatic world know, are very descriptive and, and sometimes mean a lot more than just the words mean, but, but terms like that, they don't tell me anything for sure, but they certainly make me wonder and want to explore a bit more. Yeah, yeah. So some of these things, including the choice of words, point you in a direction. And uh, what you very clearly explained through the examples, including your own, is that it is not necessarily something that, uh, you know, that the insight comes quickly that uh, it could be a long process before um, you really get to uh, to the awareness of what may have happened. It could be a long process, and sometimes it's very, very fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a long process because I'm dense or something. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but sometimes it is very, very fast. I do uh, what I call somatic perinatal process workshop and it's it's a you know three four day workshop and um and it is set up in um the way and i have to give you know credit to my mentor i did not design it but it it is done so that everything is is, um everyone is cared for just like a baby would want to be Mm -hmm. You, you never have you don't have to do anything you um, don't want to. You know very, very clearly what the time is and what's going to happen if something feels like it's going too fast, which is often happens for a newborn baby. You can say, hey, this is too fast. I need it to be slow. It is a very supportive, very, very safe situation and um, as we go through the day and everybody and the day the, the, the days and everyone takes their turn to have a process if they want to sometimes the important part of the process is not having to do anything mm-hmm. um, the person gets to I see it healing and and um, Repatterning some of the lesser traumas, you might say, and some of the larger ones around our 
birth. I mean, nobody is touched without being asked and then told. Everybody is in charge of their own safety, and they can, without any shame or any inhibition, ask for what they want. That doesn't mean they'll get it, but they get to ask and get an honest answer. Mm-hmm. It's a very um, wonderful process of allowing us to take some time and to go back and and maybe he, you know, and heal some of yeah. that. So could you maybe share an example of um, what this repatterning re- uh, could involve? Well, sometimes it is... Um, the, the process of actually choosing your posture and and going through a birth process mm-hmm. um, and then and being met being met and being responded to and eventually get what you need what you want um, from the adults around um, you know let's see it, it might it might other than that, be just wanting to talk to someone um, and say or ask questions. To do one of these process workshops, there is an extent, extensive um, questionnaire mm-hmm. that, that the person fills out. And, you know, there's research. Is there anyone around who can tell you anything about the birth and, and asking if if parents are still alive, the mother and the father might have two entirely different impressions mm-hmm. birth process and then of course the, 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 the baby has another one and maybe some other members of the family have other ones but gathering that together is, is very helpful for the person and, and as I said one of the most um, Maybe surprising things is sometimes a person, you know, takes the time out, does this research, comes to a workshop ready to be here for four days, and actually does nothing. Hmm. Meaning, I mean, doesn't have to have her or his process. Everybody participates in supporting everyone's process. Mm-hmm. But I have seen such a... Um, a wonderful enlightening, you might say, when somebody says, I'm not going to have my turn. I just want to sit here and be with you and support or something. Or or things are going too fast. For instance, babies who are, are induced. And this is happening more and more and more now. But it happened back you know, 30, 40 years ago, too. Babies are induced and often... I can say another thing about um, a person I worked with who uh, just had trouble doing anything on time, really, really resistant to doing anything on time. Eventually, we find out that the birth was induced. This child was not ready to come and was caused to be born. And um, it, it was a wonderful experience in the workshop to just say, nope, hmm. nope, I don't want to. Yeah. I'm not ready. I'm not coming. You know, everybody, you could just wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great. Mm-hmm. So, Judith, as we're actually coming to the end of this conversation, is there something you might want to say to um, to conclude, or is this a good place to end? 
Well, let, let me give you a little vignette of something that was really interesting to me. I, this um, pre and perinatal work, I, I, I've you know, I work with uh, parents and uh, prospective parents and uh, teach them, you know, really important things that um, are very simple, but um, maybe we don't think about how to uh, be with the baby and support the, the, the neonate and help them be, feel safe. And then um, I also work and have for many, many years with the Tibetan Nuns Project, and I've gone to India about nine times um, working with the Tibetan nuns in exile. And, of course, they don't have children or have much interest in children, but one of the last times I was there, they asked me to teach them how to work with um, elder nuns and those who are dying. And so in the middle of my of my class, and I'm, I'm telling them you know, about um, how important prosody is, how important the, the tempo of the movement, how important it is to let the person know what you're going to do or ask them. And in the middle of a word, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm telling them exactly the same things I tell mothers for newborns. Wow. And I was like, whoa, this is full circle. This is what the people need, you know, communication, being met, making eye contact. How does your voice sound, whether you're newborn or whether you're passing on? Those are the the respects and the connections that help us feel most safe and comfortable. So for me, it was a wonderful full circle experience. It is, yeah. Thanks for sharing this. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com. Ask them. And in the middle of a word, I thought, oh my gosh. I'm telling them exactly the same things I tell mothers for newborns. Wow. And I was like, whoa, this is full circle. This is what the people need. You know, communication, being met, making eye contact. How does your voice sound, whether you're newborn or whether you're passing on? Those are the the respects and the connections that help us feel most safe and comfortable. So for me, it was a wonderful full circle experience. It is, yeah. Thanks for sharing this. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.